Welcome to Lost Without Japan, a travel podcast about the life-changing experiences of exploring Japan and those moments we would be lost without. For your listening pleasure, allow me to introduce your very own Kanko Gaido, Michael. Welcome to a very special audio interview episode of Lost Without Japan podcast. Our bi-weekly podcast is focused on Japan as well as special episodes like this one, where we build upon our community of Lost Without Japan listeners and talk to others about their very own Lost Without moments. This is your very own Kanko Gaido for Tiki IC Studio Productions, coming to you with hopes and dreams of a return to travel for you, the listener, in 2022 and for my son and myself in summer 2023. I'd like to thank you all for giving me a bit of your time today and truly hope that this podcast finds you in a good place or on the path to a better one, no matter how it may seem at the moment. My belief is that we could all use a beacon like this one in our lives to help guide us during these times, and my hope is that Japan, along with the show, will become that for you. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're returning Lost Without Listener, thank you again for returning once more. For today's show, let me introduce the current Tokyo-based artist, Ken Tanaka, otherwise known as Ken Frog. If you're based in Japan, you may recognize him and his art from his recent art shows at Gallery Musto, Nuance uh, Gallery Bar Night, Tokyo Weekender Magazine Release Party, and even maybe his classes at various art bar locations throughout Tokyo. I stumbled across Ken's art through his Instagram account at at KenFrog and immediately found a connection with his unique art style. I feel so fortunate today to have him with us and can't wait to talk a little bit about his art and just experiences in general. Welcome, Ken. Just thank you so much for making time for the listeners of my show and myself uh, with today's episode, even if it's something that we're having to do more than once, my friend. Yeah, we had a couple of technical difficulties, but that's all right. That happens. Uh, thank you for having me on here. I'm looking forward you know, to uh, talking. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. This is the definitive edition, right? Like, or the remastered, you know? Well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, yeah. Uh, we'll, well see. Before we'll we see. get... Oh, got it. We got it. But before we get going too far in today's episode, I always like to give um, guests the chance to kind of promote themselves. So where can listeners of Lost Without Japan um, reach out to you to either find out about uh, your shows, um, purchasing your art, uh, just anything having to do with you? Okay, well, um, I primarily engage with my Instagram account, which is Ken Frog. That'd be K-E-N. F-R-O-G, like the small green animal. Uh, people who don't have Instagram can head over to my website, kenfrog.com. Um, yeah, so those are my main avenues for, um, for, for communicating with people. I also uh, teach my classes, like you mentioned earlier, at Art Bar Tokyo. We have locations um, in Harajuku and in Daikanyama, also in Yokohama, down in the prefecture of Kanagawa. And Osaka, we do pop-ups all over Japan. Um, I primarily just stick to the Tokyo area. But if you'd like to come see me, uh, meet me, um, create an artwork uh, based on kind of my style, please drop by there as well. That's artbar.co.jp. 
Awesome, Cannon. You can count on seeing me. Um, and I hope that it is next summer that things will be completely open and I will be um, up front and center, uh, ready to uh, create something that I can bring home with myself and just have, you know, a, a different, uh, you know, experience in, in Japan. So looking forward to it so much. Um, with this next section, Ken, I like to, before we get too much into, um, you know, our questions, and things we have today, I just like to give uh, you a chance to kind of just introduce yourselves and share anything that you'd like um, about growing up, uh, family, uh, anything that you'd like to share is totally welcome, my friend. Okay. Um, it's questionable as to whether I've ever actually grown up, but um, I was born... <laughs> I was born in Korea. My mother and father were Japanese language teachers in Korea. So I, um, they're both from Osaka. My mother is a Japanese born uh, Korean. So she was raised speaking Japanese. And actually, her parents didn't tell her she was Korean um, due to some of the tensions at the time. Um, uh, so she speaks Japanese. She also speaks uh, English well as well. This is my father, but we primarily communicate in Japanese. Um, so they were Japanese language teachers in Korea, where I was born. I came back as a kid, and they settled in uh, Fukuoka, which is in southern Japan, in Kyushu. That's where I consider home. And I have pretty big family, I think. Um, I have two younger sisters, two older brothers, and two older sisters. Um, yeah, and we all, um, not all of us draw, but most some of most of us can do a pic can draw pretty decently um i'm not particularly good at sketching or drawing i just kind of have this one style that i've stuck to over the years and have managed to create something out of but uh, my other siblings are actually much more um technically like skilled artists than i am actually and that's i think that's worth noting <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I like it, Ken, because I think uh, that's one thing I most enjoy about art in general is that there's art for everyone. Mm. And one of my favorite um, artists that I have, like my dad just can't ap just absolutely just uh, can't like, you know, see it. And I said, but it's one of those things where I can look at Jackson Pollock and all of the paint splatters and things. And I could stare at one of his pieces in Chicago at the art in, uh, museum that we have and be there for quite some time. Um, so I, you know, I think, uh, we all offer something, uh, especially when we're going through and I, I definitely feel that you have a lot to offer too, my friend. Thank you. One of the things that I, I wanted to uh, get going with, like your early art memories or anything that might've influenced you, uh, when you were growing up. That's, um, <laughs> lots of things, I guess. Um, I wasn't really raised on a lot of, uh, manga or anime, like a lot of my friends were, um. I did read a lot of children's picture books, which usually are quite whimsical. Their approach to figure drawing is different. Um, I like a series by Arnold Lobel called Frog and Toad. He's a writer who did stuff like uh, Mouse Tales, Owl at Home, most famously uh, Frog and Toad, which is the story of um really optimistic, happy frog and kind of more pessimistic, introverted kind of a toad. And they're just best friends, and it's a uh, it's a really cute story. It was really popular in Japan as well, so I grew up reading those books. Also, just watched a lot of documentaries about artists in general, and I was always really fascinated by Vincent Van Gogh, 
um, his kind of unconventional use of colors and brushstrokes, and of course his personal tragic story. We all we all love a sad artist for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah, and just was always interested in kind of art history, creating art, which is really something you can do with just a couple crayons or a pencil, and you can make something completely original. I think all children actually are quite interested in in at least trying and they can recognize skill or when someone's got something or it's just fun you can draw funny things you know you can draw silly things or ridiculous things and you get some i guess get a kick out of that so i think that like most kids i just enjoyed it but not i don't think more or less than a lot of other kids initially i think that's probably more as an older kid i started to really want to create things that I consider beautiful rather than just fun to create. I know you were talking about like one of the interviews that I was going through the night piece that you had from like back when you were 15. That one remains my favorite piece to this day. I actually, I wasn't a Robert Frost fan then. I just decided to draw a kind of a night scene. And then I put a, a frog in a phone booth. There are some street lights there and there's a big uh, lamp there. And then I read, several years later, I read Robert Frost's poem that talks about a luminary clock against the sky. There's no clock in there, but there's that tall uh, lamp post. There's a poem called Acquainted with Night, which a lot of critics say is about depression. Um, Robert Frost himself said it's not necessarily <laughs> anything like that. But it's interesting, we get a piece of arbitrary art and we kind of project into it what we're thinking. But I I just kind of associated it with that. So when I first did that piece, I didn't associate it with that poem. But later on, having read the poem, I thought that's exactly what I want this to be. That's what I want to associate with this piece. I titled it after that. <laughs> that's awesome, kid. I, that's kind of a, uh, a connection, I guess, we have then, because I used to live in... Um... Uh, New England area oh. at one point in time and actually lived near uh, one of Robert Frost's homes. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we could have a separate talk about some of his poetry and things as well. But, you know, I, I think that's a, a great connection to have with uh, anything. And I know you talk of like your love of like the written word and things here, but he's definitely <laughs> someone that I enjoy reading yeah. as well. So is this, I think his themes are quite universal and I don't know. I think I think his poems are quite they don't express deep sorrow or extreme adulation. It's very just his poems are about tired people, I think really. Um and I, I relate to that, I guess. Many miles to go before you sleep, and I'm like, you know, that I I would get that <laughs> I would get that for sure. When you are looking to create your artwork if you are going to describe that art to someone that has not seen it before, how would you end up going about uh, expressing that? I'm really reluctant to actually like describe my art to people if I can just show them. So typically I'll just pull out my phone and show them. I guess if I were to describe, I'd just say it's like kind of a very arbitrary tangle of botanical elements that you probably wouldn't see together in natural um in a natural setting and that's kind of what makes up my pieces they're not symmetrical they're not particularly consistent i like to have them balanced uh but that's also relative right because what one person sees as very balanced another person might see as cacophony so 
I would just say it's um it's a piece with a bunch of flowers and plants and some weird creatures crammed into as small a space as possible. I, I love your uh, recent piece that's on your um, site with all of the pigs. Oh, yeah. You know, just one after another. Oink. I, I've done a lot of that piece. It's, it's actually been quite popular. This is my third time doing it. And it's a really neon pink, um, just a bunch of piggies. Um, it's uh, people like that one. I like it too. It's 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 funny as a piece. I think. I think also it just feels a little bit. I talk about how I don't like message art, but I don't doesn't mean I don't feel anything when I create it. And I was all these pigs just kind of stacked on each other. It's it's comical, but it's also kind of it's really how we treat animals, kind of as a commodity for our convenience. And I think that kind of um, resistance I felt to that was kind of I think that it wasn't my initially my initial idea where I was coming from, but as I was doing it, I thought this is this is quite um just using pigs as a as a design element. Just all crowded together and not that it's disrespectful, but it just kind of mirrors the irreverence we have towards life in general. We just kind of pigs become pork, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not a I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan, but I, I try to be aware of what I'm eating in general. Yes. <laughs> I know we t- talked a little bit before about like rules that you might have again, uh, being flexible with those, but what are those rules that you try to follow when you look to create your artwork? So that is kind of more principles that I try to adhere to for, um, consistency and kind of, uh, to give my work a certain quality. But when I draw a flower or a certain element, I'll try to reproduce it um, in multiples of either three or five or seven. In other words, odd numbers, just to kind of uh, give a sense of balance. Um, When elements are in odd numbers, it tends typically to, you find a center to it. It's um, something about things in multiples of two or equal numbers is a little off-putting just that lack of a of a center i guess so i tend to do that and then i if i if i've been drawing the lines quite softly or quite round or quite smoothly i'll try to um shake things up a bit by adding lines that are really rough or really kind of jagged or just kind of adding lots of different shapes so that you don't end up with something that's really homogenized or homogenous you end up with something that's quite kinetic and um moving and i guess there's small elements large elements longer elements silly elements a little bit more uh, elements i took time to try to draw in a more traditional way and that juxtaposition i think is fun to look at and to create like going through with my students and things uh talking about your artwork one of the things that attracted me to it was your use of you know, like ballpoint pens at times. And that's something that like anybody has access to. And I love that as a part of what you're doing. But do you have any um, favorite medians, uh, mediums that you like to use in your artwork? I think the thing I really like about ballpoint pens is I didn't used to be the sort of artist who would sit down at my studio and uh, draw pieces. And you're that kind of artist. You can have uh, paints, you can have color pencils and brushes and things but i was more the artist who after a long day of work would sit down at a bar and would take a coaster or a shop business card 
from somewhere and just kind of draw on that. And the kind of art medium that you could just have in your work bag is the pen that you were using to jot down notes in the meeting earlier that day. So it's portable and you can create amazing art anywhere. So I like that utility of the pen, basically. Um, but as far as what I love for colors, I really love the vibrancy from oil pastels. I used to work with softer pastels and color pencils, but I'm not really so good with those more delicate tones. I like bold, very saturated colors. And I love that about crayons and uh, the cheap ones are fine too. Um, I like acrylics. They dry fast. I'm not a patient person. So they're very, uh, they indulge that, they indulge that impatience, which I'm thankful for. I really am not very adept with, but I really admire artists who can work well with just one brush and black Japanese ink. When you see Sui Bokugawa, when you see a Sumie, traditional Japanese ink painting, it's just the, the amount of nuance and texture and the movement that can be expressed in a single brush stroke is just, I don't, it's, it's hard to fathom, you know? Um, and and I, I love that a lot. It's just a single stroke, but you have, you see, I've seen that wave. I've seen that bamboo. I've seen that mountain. I've seen that gust of wind. And it resonates. But it's really just a really rudimentary, simple brushstroke. And I think that how much that one thing can, can contain, <laughs> the multitude that it can contain is overwhelming. So I would love to be able to do that someday, but not yet. I can't at the moment. I have faith in you, my friend. I, I, I do. I said, I see, see something like that being worked on in the future. And, you know, no doubt about it. No I, doubt I was about commissioned it. A, a brush, a, a black ink piece lately, which I've been taking my time with. And the, the person who's asked me to work on this piece has been very understanding that I, I don't want to, um, I've created some pieces that they've liked, but um, I've said, no, I'm not happy with it yet. I need to kind of keep going and kind of do something that I can, I can confidently call mine. They're all mine. The bad pieces are all mine too. But I can confidently <laughs> say that I want to. Um, that I would. I would gladly accept money for. In other words, <laughs> so it's taking a while, but I'm getting there. Yeah. When you go through and create a piece, uh, what are the steps that you kind of follow uh, to get your artwork complete? As far as the the steps of it, I if I'm working with canvas, I will lay down the colors that I'm using. I'll vary the amounts of water and the different colors to create different textures on the board, different kinds of opacities and different um, gradients. And I'll try to get that done as fast as possible. I just like a more flowing, more spontaneous look, a more unplanned look on the canvas itself. As the, the, the ballpoint lines are quite precise and quite de de definitive. So I want something in the background that's a little bit more random, more arbitrary. If I'm working with paper, I will just go straight into it. I don't usually work with paint on paper. And then um, after the paint dries on the canvas, I'll take my ballpoint pen and I'll just really kind of get into it without a lot of planning in advance. I might think today I want to like focus on the magnolia or the chrysanthemum or a dokudami flower or kind of uh, do a giant branch of some flowers and I'll base things kind of based off of that balance that with those things and then I'll balance things with those elements and it comes with this kind of weird cacophonous harmony in the end. Um, I don't do a lot of uh, pre-plotting or planning in advance in general. 
Yeah, and um, the process is once I'm done with a piece, there's a kind of a uh, a lyric I really like from. Do you know Utada Hikaru? I don't. I don't. Ah, okay. So she's a Japan's one of Japan's biggest pop stars. Her mother was also an enka singer, and she uh, released mid twenty years ago a song called First Love, which is Japan's best-selling single of all time. And she has this recent song with um, Shina Ringo, another pop princess from my hometown of Fukuoka. Uh, it's called Nishikan Dake no Bakansu. In other words, a two-hour vacation. It's kind of hints that it's two women taking an escape from life to go to a... I, I, this is my interpretation. I think they're going to a hotel together, honestly. <laughs> but this is a big tangent. This is a big tangent. Uh, but there's a, there's a lyric in there that goes, Tarinai gurai ga in desu. In other words, uh, the point where it's just not enough, it's just about almost not enough, is the point you want it to stop. You want a slight hunger other than a glut or a surplus. In other words. So that, in other words, um, when I take that into my art, that was a big tangent, but I don't want, I do want people feeling like, ah, I wish there was just a little bit more to the art rather than this is oversaturated. This is too much detail. So at the point I'm feeling almost done, I'll put the picture up on my wall in my own house, even if it's a commissioned piece, and I'll leave it there for a couple of days just to kind of see if I, just walking by, not as an artist, but just as a person living in a house or in a domestic space, if I'll see something that I think, oh, that I wish there's a little bit more there, or I'll just let it kind of soak into the environment. And, and then I'll take some time and maybe I'll add something uh, or maybe I won't. So that's kind of my test. If it can withstand a couple of days in my house and I look at it and I think oh, that's a good picture, you know, because ultimately I want to create works that I like. I don't love all of my work the same. I like some pieces more than others, but I recognize some people will always like the work and I want to create something that, that I can condone, condone, uh, get behind, I guess. <laughs> yeah. For my interviews or different things I have, I always look to add kind of a song of the show. So I'm, I'm going to, add first love to my playlist of things that I can listen to. And then we'll make that our song of the show as well. I think that's fitting. First so. love is a really, <laughs> it was massive all throughout Asia. Um, people who are Utada Hikaru fans would definitely know the song. It's in her younger years. But the um, two-hour vacation, Nijikan Dake no Vakansu, would be also um, one of her more recent work. Uh, the music video is really cool. There are two, uh, two women just on a, on a planet somewhere driving around in the car kind of has some Thelma Louise vibes I guess <laughs> check it out if you yeah I will look at both then my friend yes. I said well, well we'll have that like included I'm like I, I like that I I listen to a lot of different things I love uh music from Japan I love uh music from uh Korea um really uh anywhere and everywhere uh one of the things that my son and I love to do is just kind of share recommendations back and forth for things so oh, that's um, great I, you know? I love that relationship but i'll send i'll send stuff sometimes to my dad like music that i think he would like he's like weirdly a big american idol fan i'm not okay but like he he likes american <laughs> uh pop music r&b he like weirdly likes Nicki minaj <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah i like her <laughs> okay uh, but i'll send him occasionally uh, music that i've i've liked he's uh he actually sings um by day my father is a uh pastor as not like a sermon but he does weddings he officiates weddings okay. and at night 
he goes to it's a tradi- Japanese tradition. It's a Japanese tradition called nagashi. He goes to different bars and clubs, and he'll actually just sing there on his guitar different requests. So people will request like an old Beatles song or maybe a more recent pop song. So I keep his rep- repertoire kind of updated. Like this song's big now, Dad. You might want to add that to your repertoire. And um, yeah, just a little bit of a side tangent about that. But music, I listen to a lot of jazz personally. The improvisational nature of that helps me with the with the art. Kind of, I can bounce that idea and that rhythm off of those music, and it's also validating for me. Sometimes I feel like I should be a proper artist, and I should learn about balance and shadows and light and all those things but it's kind of like no i can just be a i can be an improvisational jazz artist that's fine you know <laughs> it's my excuse but you like it <laughs> i like that though i you know I, the one thing i love about art is that it's um for everyone like there's something for everyone just a matter of finding what your you know thing is and you know this is this is you at this moment and if you haven't already uh, and you're not driving, make sure to, you know, while you're listening, go to his uh, website or look through his Instagram and just look at some of the pieces that you have. And I'm sure that you'll, uh, you know, fall in love with them as much as I have uh, and just have enjoyed seeing your post and looking forward to seeing what you're going to be doing with the uh, records. You know, I saw that on your site that you had Dunny 2 and some square p- pieces and things like that. Are you like looking to incorporate other things? Just for some context, Dunny Two is a um, is a acrylic plastic uh, figurine of a bunny, and it's become a kind of thing where artists will actually paint on those. And I was actually not aware of the Dunny. Uh, he was um, one of my uh, online followers. Actually, I I met this uh, American uh, woman on a karaoke app. <laughs> I used to use this karaoke app to see just to get, it, get rid of stress. Um, but she saw my, uh, she saw my artwork on my Instagram and she said, what if I'm going to send you, actually, I don't even think she asked me. I think she just said, I'm going to send you this Dunny. Give me your address. I'm going to send you this Dunny and I'm going to pay you to do this. I don't think it was like a question. I just think she did it, it was several <laughs> years ago. So I did one, which I was really happy with. And then she sent me another one, of, uh, I think a couple of years ago, and I did that one as well. But um, as you know, I, I, I tend to work on these round canvases, and that's kind of become my default medium. But I, before I get too comfortable, it's always nice to kind of branch out. So when I see a different shape of canvas or a different kind of a drawing base, I'll try to do a piece on it. I kind of have a principle or one of the rules I follow is that I try to do a non-commissioned piece, just a personal piece that I, I want to create. Um, art commissions usually have some specific details requested or things, and I'm very fine to work with that. It's nice, but I think it's just to kind of keep my core or to reset. I try to make a point of when I have the time and the luxury of so doing, creating a piece that I have no specifications. And then those are the pieces that typically sell at my exhibits or online. But um, when people do request paintings from me or different works, sometimes they will actually say, can you possibly do this on this medium? Or I really like this kind of paper. Or I really like, um, could you do it on this shoe or on this shirt? Or um, a recent job I did for an international school was um, records. The head teacher or the, 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 the principal of the school, actually, she had some 
old records that she had bought at a recycle store. And she said, why don't we use these ones? They're light, they're circular like the rest of your works. They're easy to mount on the walls. And I just think it'd be interesting. So I tried that and they held the paint so well. And I had to thank her really because they are really a medium I think I find a lot of potential in for my future works. Um, they're also recycled. I feel good about using them. They already come inside of a package that I can send uh, to people. You'll receive a random uh, Japanese pop album from the 1980s. And uh, it's a good way to be introduced to new work, if a little irreverent. But uh, yeah, so I'm always, um, to answer your question, uh, I'm not actively looking for a new medium, but when it comes by, I try to remain open to kind of taking that up and incorporating it. I love it. I love it. Um, I know you were from previous interviews and things like that, that you said that you've had jobs leading up to this decision to kind of put, you know, art kind of at the forefront uh, with other things in your life. But could you talk a little bit more about kind of that moment? Uh, I know that you said that you would draw, uh, you know, using your pens and things to kind of escape or relax afterwards. But could you talk a little bit about that moment where you finally were like, yes, this is something I have to do? So initially, it wasn't a compulsion or I wasn't compelled. It was kind of an escape. You know, when I, I'm, a, I'm a thinker. Um, not a great thinker, just a thinker. <laughs> I, uh, and I think I, I was in a role that I had to do a lot of problem solving. And I'm a very empathetic person. So when I'm using my entire, all my mental faculties to kind of focus in on a prob project, um, it does get exhausting, you know? So I think that's why a lot of people doodle um, to kind of engage themselves in some way and kind of alleviate that stress by kind of distributing it to other tasks, just drawing or doodling rather. So the Japanese word for doodling is rakugaki, raku meaning ease or simplicity or fun, <laughs> and uh, gaki for drawing or, yeah, so rakugaki, just drawing of ease, rakugaki. So that's kind of what I define my earlier drawing as. But the moment I kind of figured that this is what I have to do, I was really being validated by my art. My, I was at some point able to pay my monthly expenses and rent, living expenses and rent, just by the artwork that people would commission from me or that they would bought, purchase from me. I had a couple small exhibits and people started telling me, you know, your art is really beautiful. You need to uh, start um, taking yourself seriously as an artist and not thinking this is something I do on the side, but this is something that I do as a main thing. Some people have their self-esteem built by themselves. And I have to admit that I think that my confidence really did come from the people who supported me. family, friends, uh, my partner, um, people who remind me even when I feel like an imposter, even if I feel people are just being nice to me. I still feel this sometimes. I feel like, oh, why are people buying my art? They're just being nice to me. It's ridiculous because strangers reach out to me for my art. And this is, I've been doing this for years now, but I still have days. And I'm sure if you're any creative listening to this, you'll identify with that feeling of, I'm not enough. When are they going to find out that I actually can't do anything? Right? Yes, 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 yes. It's like it's like that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like, you know, you reach out and you're like, oh, they said yes. Or like, you know, it's 100%. So everybody feels like an imposter. This I have a friend and 
she she's an amazing photographer. She recently posted on her social media. There are some days I feel like all the photos I take are shit, and um, you look at her photos and you're just like, I take some really bad photos, and I sometimes think they're pretty good. So you know, it's it's really it's not proportionate to how skilled you are. It really isn't. There, are, you see some people who are not amazing technically, amazingly technical art, artists. They have so much confidence in their skills. So I think that. Um, to get back to it, the, the moment that I kind of realized that this is what I have to do is I realized that I enjoy doing this. I don't have enough time to do this right now with the time I'm giving to my, I think you call it a nine to five in America, like your yep. full-time job, yep. right? I said, I don't have the time. I, and I, when I'm going to get older, I'm going to always wonder, could I have been an artist <laughs> instead of being um, head of customer service or something, you know? Just fine. There's, I pride in it. I enjoy all the work I do. Even now, I do some other things that are not directly related to art, which are more related to linguistics and translation. And I find pride in it. I enjoy it. I find meaning in it. But I thought, if I'm going to do something, I, I turned 30 at that point, and I said, uh, I'd rather fail at something that I really enjoy and I really love uh, than succeed. And I was being offered a promotion at that point. Succeed at something that I don't find is meaningful. And I find a lot of things meaningful. I think in life we find a lot of choices that are good. And it's not usually the difficult choices, not between the, the good and the bad. I think the difficult choices between all the many good things you could take. To get back to Robert Frost, the two roads diverging in the yellow wood, right? Yep. So I think, um, I don't know if I would have been happier at continuing it. I think I'm pretty sure that I'm happier now. I, I sleep better. I think the happiness is health. I sleep better. I have more time for friends, for family. I didn't have time to study when I moved to Tokyo. I didn't go to college. I just get, went right into work at 18 years old. So I was working nonstop for 12 years without a break, pretty much. So um, doing this has afforded me that time to read books, to take trips, to create art, to do those things that I wanted to do more of, uh, you know, so it's nice. And I've, I've adjusted my expenses accordingly because I, I make, I make uh, initially I made less when I moved into art. So I had to move out to Chiba, which is an hour out of Tokyo, bigger house, smaller rent, uh, longer travel time into the city. But it's uh, more relaxing. I'm really glad that I've done this. That support piece you know, is huge. Like having your family uh, behind you. I know, you know, I have my dad and, uh, you know, my mom that I feel very fortunate for. I have my two kids, um, you know, my daughter and my son and my, you know, sister and her wife, uh, like having all of those people in my life is just, uh, an important part to keep pushing you on. Cause you're going to run into some struggles. You're going to run into some hard times, but having those people that believe in you <laughs> when you may not always believe, you know, uh, it, it, you know, in yourself, um, that's a hard, huge part of it. So I, I think anyone could take what you're saying there, you know, and apply it to that for sure. What advice would you give to someone that was a young adult or student, things like that, that are kind of on the fence about having art be a part of uh, their life as like potential career? I'd say, you don't need to be a full-time artist right away. People kind of romanticize this idea of the starving artist. And there are lots of starving artists. And hopefully in society, we wouldn't have starving people at all, right? But yeah. we unfortunately live in a 
capitalistic society where people have to think about if I have something I want to sell to people, who are these people? Why do they want my work? I would say, first of all, buy a piece. Find an artist you like and buy a piece from them, whether it's cheap or expensive. And becoming a customer, you'll find kind of what, as a customer, you expect. As far as pricing art, that's very arbitrary. People will spend, some amazing artists charge very little for their amazing work, and some relatively not so amazing artists, I, I think myself, I, I think I, I'm unique. I think I'm unique. I don't think I'm amazingly skilled. I don't pretend to be an amazingly skilled artist. I think I make work that some people like, and it is for them. It is not for everybody. But find an artist that you like and buy one of their pieces. You can't, I think it's, uh, I personally try to buy art when I can, just that I can be the customer side. If you're going to be a teacher, you need to be a student. If you're going to sell art, you should try to buy a piece once and you'll feel that feeling of satisfaction. And then you'll be able to provide to others, I think. The other thing I would say is have a community, have friends who are artists if possible people you can talk about things with even if you're not following their advice it's just it's it's creating art and then feeling unseen for some people is really exhausting for me i've fortunately i've been kind of i've kind of had a bit of a social media following for following my art for a while but i know some artist friends who are amazing far more skilled than me but that lack of visibility or that connection is really kind of um how do i say is um, demoralizing for them. So I say have other artists, friends to cheer you on who understand that struggle of sometimes not being able to produce a piece of waking up one day and thinking like, uh, I can't create anything today. I don't feel like it. And thus having that solidarity and those shared uh, victories and struggles. Other thing I'd say is don't rely on inspiration. <laughs> I have a complicated relationship with this word inspiration. I don't have that luxury of thing, thinking like, oh, I don't feel like drawing today. I don't feel inspired today. Sometimes you just kind of have to go into it and create a bad piece. And that's fine. Just do something. Not saying that it's not good to take breaks. It's fine too. But at some point, you just kind of need to learn to do the piece and just get into it and just start. If you're relying on inspiration, inspiration is not like some faucet you can just turn on at any time. So if you have that luxury to be able to rely on inspiration, great, but most of us don't. So I would say learn to do without that. Where have you lived in Japan? Oh, I've only lived in Tokyo and uh, now I'm living in Chiba, but basically very close to Tokyo. Um, I'm from Fukuoka. That's where I grew up. So I've not lived elsewhere, just Tokyo and Fukuoka. But I take a lot of trips out to other cities outside of Tokyo. And I do consider someday either moving back to my hometown or another more rural area of Japan. I could see that much the same thing. I, I like being close enough to where you have some sort of connection by train or transportation to get you to a busier place to enjoy a concert or enjoy good food or other things that are there. But it is nice to kind of have a more quiet place. What are some of your favorite places to visit and eat in Tokyo when you make it in? So I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm almost kind of reluctant to share some of these because <laughs> but it's like, you know, you have your, your local jewels, you know. If you want anything that's off 
this this podcast right now you can just message me directly that's fine i'll keep that to myself but if anything you yeah, want to no, share a, you feel free <laughs> i have a list if, if anyone wants my if anyone wants my carefully created list of little off the wall izakayas I would say go to places without pictures on the menus is what I would tell you. Um, you you go to like Asakusa and then you go to a restaurant that has like they serve sushi and they serve tempura and they serve soba and udon and curry rice and takoyaki. Everything is out of a freezer bag and it's um I'm sure it tastes it tastes fine. There's this concept of the Asian restaurant when you go abroad and they serve uh, katsu curry, which in England actually just means Japanese curry, even without the cutlet. And you have your miso soup without the dashi, and you have your, your rolls. Um, we don't have Japanese restaurants in Japan. We have sushi restaurants, we have noodle restaurants. Everything is segmented, you know? But, um, sorry, that's a tangent. That's just me ranting about bad food. Within Tokyo, I, there are places I would get, I'm, I'm afraid to start because I'm going to go too far into it, but, um, I quite like the city of uh, Sugamo, which is um, two stations from Ikebukuro. And it's kind of known as the Harajuku for the elderly in Tokyo. So it has a lot of kind of soba restaurants, food that's a little bit more comfort food, not so strongly flavored, more traditional Japanese foods. You'll find some good eateries there. They also have a place that does uh, akashiyaki, which is a predecessor of takoyaki. It's a softer egg ball just a, an egg that's like cooked softly with some dashi in it and some uh, mountain potato with a big octopus piece in the center. And you have that in a bowl of really, really umami rich dashi with a shake of mountain pepper. And it's, it's perfection. <laughs> it's called akashiyaki. So uh, that's a place I like to go. Of course, there's lots of good cheap sushi places. People always say you have to get out of Tokyo to enjoy the authentic thing. There are trucks that come in from Hokkaido early in the morning. They fly stuff in. You can get very, very fresh food in Tokyo, I'd say. Not saying not to say you shouldn't go out of Tokyo for food. That's definitely worth it. But you can get authentic food from all over Japan in Tokyo. So, And I know you're super busy, Ken, uh, with everything that you're doing. But do you have any hobbies that you might use to relax as well um, outside of your art? That's really funny because I used to, uh, I used to, um, art was the thing I would resort to for relaxation. Now it's almost like it takes a lot out of me now. I think it's difficult for me to delineate art that I'm creating for my leisure and art that I'm creating for my work because all the art I'm creating for now, essentially, the minute it goes out there, people might inquire about purchasing it, you know? So I think that's something I could work on. But um, I really enjoy creative writing. Uh, I write poems, and short stories. I kind of tend to do that just on the train while I'm en route to uh, exhibit or uh, to a job or anything like that. I enjoy cooking a lot. I'll host house parties for my friends sometimes and I'll cook a bunch of things and we'll drink together and watch a dumb movie. I really enjoy just going into a coffee shop and uh, sitting down with a magazine or a book and just reading for several hours. I am just generally a really curious person. So I've had lots of hobbies that I picked up and discarded through the years. But um, I think that what has stuck with me for my whole life has been this art and writing. And I think that's what I'll continue to do forever. <laughs> if you're going to pick a place in the world outside of Japan that you'd still like to visit, what would that be? 
without the superlative or like the best or the most interesting, I think that what comes to mind right now is Vietnam. I haven't been, but I see a lot of uh, the kind of colors used in the temples traditionally. This really unique shade of magenta, these oranges, these turquoises. It's just so vivid and very different from Japanese colors. Um, the aesthetic you see, it's almost kind of like that Mexican quincenera or that kind of uh, um, Dios de la Muertes kind of aesthetic, those colors, but not quite the same also. I love those old Chinese uh, colors in Vietnam, the aesthetic, and I'd love to go see that. And I also really like Vietnamese food. Um, and I just guess I don't know much about Vietnam in general. It's one of those countries in Asia that I think I would, it has a huge population, 80 million people, more than Thailand, almost as much as Japan. So I, I'd love to visit uh, Vietnam, I think. That's on my list as well. I'm also looking to talk my sister and her wife uh, into vi visiting the Philippines. Um, that's where, that's where um, my uh, sister's wife is from. And they met online through a chat room. And uh, she ended up going, you know, all the way across the world uh, to go meet her and lived over there for a few years. And uh, so jealous of uh, how lucky they were kind of like in finding each other. That's beautiful. They, they, they lived together in the Philippines. Um, they um, when they first met, they did. Um, they did like they were literally just chatting over um, like might have been AOL back then, <laughs> Ken. Oh. So this is like, you know, like oh, like you know, 20 <laughs> years ago, right? And yeah. so they, you know, my sister hopped a plane. We all told her she was crazy, uh, you know, to go meet this person that, you know, you don't know if it's the person or not. And um, mm. she ended up staying with my sister, ended up staying with her family out there for a few years. And then they finally ended up coming back to the States here. Um, and they've been here ever since, but they're looking at some point in time to retire out there, but I've never met, mm. um, her family and I'd love to go out to the Philippines and spend some time getting to know them and just anywhere you can go, you can have a tour guide of someone that's actually lived there. That's, that's huge. But, you know, I tell my sister, I'm like, she's awful, you know, lucky to have found, uh, her Sam uh, you know, cause it's probably one of the only people, uh, that could put up with her. Um, that, you know, like, but I, <laughs> but I, I love her. Does, to, she listen, does her sister listen to your podcast? You know, sometimes, sometimes, kid. <laughs> but, but she knows, she knows she's lucky, I mean, yeah. they're, but they're both lucky. I mean, they do, um, honestly, both offer a lot to each other and they were one of the first in, um, our area to get married and they honestly are just so lucky. I like really, I, I look at them and being a single dad like I am now, you know, gives me hope that there's somebody for you, uh, you know, uh, and it's just a matter yeah. of like the experiences that you have in life that lead to that point that make you appreciate that person when you find them. Um, they don't all have to be, you know, good things, but, uh, you know, it really does make you appreciate everything that's there. But they both offer a lot. And I, I, I love them being a part of, uh, you know, my family and then my kids getting to hang out with them and just wouldn't have it any other way, for sure. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but there's, it does come back to my heart. There are people I know who have difficulty being happy for you. Yeah. When something go, go, goes well for you in life, they feel that joy is a pie. And that when someone takes a piece of pie, there's less pie left yes. for everyone else, you know. But I've always kind of um, really celebrated uh, my friend's wins or when something goes well for someone, you know. 
And I think that when someone else has found love, it means that like they can find love. It means that so can I. It comes to my art, actually. Um, I do these art classes and it's kind of, I've improved over the years with my artwork. But I think that at its base, it's not a very technical style. It's quite rudimentary, if anything. And I think that is the accessibility almost of doing this, that doodling can actually become a beautiful piece of work that is validating. So I think that when I teach these classes and I see people creating, people who are like, oh, I can't draw. I'm really terrible. I'm like, good. Use those ugly lines and fill up this one canvas with those ugly lines. And when it's done, it's not going to be ugly. It's going to be beautiful. I guarantee you. And every single time them coming up with something beautiful, it's just validating. It's giving people that permission to create. So I don't feel like I want to hold that joy in. I want to share that with everyone, really. So I feel like when someone else creates something wonderful, it means that I am human. I can do the same. I can do something. So same, same with love and with success and with skill and all these things. I think that really celebrating each other and giving each other that permission to uh, make something beautiful is, I think, really important. And not thinking that, oh, that's just for someone else. That's not for me really sharing that. And I think that the more of us are doing that, we're not going to get impatient. When is it my turn? We can say, no, it's coming, you know? You know, for me, Ken, it took me to be 37. And that's something I'm trying to instill in my son. I'm 44 now, but um, it took me to be 37 to start doing things for myself. And my dad is probably the most important person in my life outside of my kids. Uh, We do things together, baseball games and other stuff. But He's always been a huge supporter of mine, and my stepmom is right there with him. Uh, two people that have always been there for me, always kind of, you know, help keep me focused on long-term things or positives that are going on in my life. And when I have that moment where you're melting down, <laughs> you know, you mm. you can go to them and you realize after you're done, you know, hyperventilating or whatever it is that things are okay, you know, providing that safe, you know, input. But when I was growing up, um, unfortunately, like I'm not going to go into a, a lot of detail now, but I was in, you know, with my mom, my actual mom abused when I was growing up and, ha- oh. and having that person that's like, you know, constantly kind of like taking away or not affirming or like, you know, all that stuff, having those people that are around you that are that support mm. is huge. But like those experiences that I had, like I, I feel like in part made me the dad that I am today and ha- made me have mm. the connections that I have today because I didn't want to have, you know, anything near, you know, that for for my kids. And I feel like those things that you lead through, like really do make you appreciate what you do end up finding uh, like a hundred times more than if, you know, everything, oh, yeah. you know, I've been like a Hallmark movie, you know what I mean? <laughs> like where everything's kind of no, going well, through, yeah, you know? I mean- I, we we don't have Hallmark movies here, but like I, I I I've heard of them. I think I'm familiar with the genre. Yeah. They're like those they're like those lame Netflix movies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, Netflix is not one of your sponsors. I hope. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, but um, like uh, I I I relate to that. I really don't take for granted uh the support of my friends because in the past I've had friends who weren't as supportive. Yeah, I don't take for granted how supportive and validating my partner is now because in the past I've had, and I've spoken on other podcasts about this, partners who were abusive and jealous of 
things I would create or the tension I would get or, you know, unvalidating um, of my communication style, uh, wanting me to be a certain way. When you find that acceptance, it's really something to be treasured and not taken for granted. And as far as you're saying that you've only recently started doing things for yourself, I identify with that because I think that not just in Japanese society, but um, me growing up as Christian, a lot of my value was kind of in what I could do for others. There wasn't a lot of emphasis on what you can do for yourself or are you angry? Why are you angry? Are you sad? Why are you sad? Those are negative feelings. Ignore those. If someone else is negative, you help them. And this is good if you're in that community because you have other people looking out for you and you're looking out for them, but no one's looking out for themselves. Yep. And the person who can look out for themselves the best is the self, the oneself, yes. right? So that's something I'm learning now, how to, that it's okay for me to be angry or for me to be sad. Or, and I can actually think that my worth is not just about what I can do or what my contributions to society are, but it's just in being a person. And having friends and enjoying life. and it's, So I, I'm really glad that you've been able to do that now. You, you and me both. And I, it's, it's like it's a continuous journey. But um, having like the podcast and things like making friends through this, but just podcast people that I know as well, having that community around is huge. And I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, definitely now. So I, you know, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And kind of uh, continuing on with what we had, is there anything that you might differently if you could have that sci-fi fantasy do-over in your life oh wow <laughs> oh yes um i didn't go to university i don't think that's something i necessarily regret yes per se but i think i spent a lot of time being raised in that new religious movement or slash cult where i was raised um learning a lot of things about religion or about uh, belief. And I'm still fascinated with, with religion. I don't consider myself a religious person. I'm agnostic, but I am fascinated with faith. And, and I, was, I was devout. I studied a lot and I really took a lot of skills from there. And um, I, I don't regret it. I can't help but wonder sometimes how that time would have manifested had I invested it into studying other things, the arts, literature, poetry. But, you know, ultimately, those things did make me what I am now. But what would I do differently? I think I would have not second-guessed myself so much. I'm so used to talking myself down. Um, there's a thing about, there's this paradox with self-acceptance where people are like, you have to accept yourself and who you are. So once I learned about that, I also had to remember that there's also the reality that who you are changes. It's fluid. It's not static. So, for example, I have these beliefs about myself that I adhered to for so long that I was not socially adept. I'm actually really good with people. I'm quite funny, actually. I'm good with conversation. I've actually had to admit this to myself because I grew up with people telling me I'm weird, yep. that I'm not very gifted in these areas. And I believed them. And I, I shrunk myself for their expectations. Or I believed I wasn't good at colors, at using colors, or I'm not good at drawing. And I accepted those things about myself, and I made arrangements uh, to develop the hobbies I thought I had a chance with. But then kind of understanding recently that, no, actually, I'm changing. I wasn't good at colors then, but I'm good at colors now, and updating my expectations. And if I had a regret, I didn't learn about that sooner. 
that I can change and I, I am changing and I need to update my beliefs accordingly about myself and about others because people do change. I mean, people always say people don't change, but people say this, <laughs> but no, I believe that people can and that they frequently do. Yeah. I believe in that. So. 100% because like who I was at 20 versus 30 versus 40 is kind of like a continuous evolution, um, mm. you know, and like that continuous struggle of just continuing to find your, yourself, uh, you, you know, with everything that's going on for sure. Like, even like physically at like at 20, I was so scrawny. I was so like skinny. And then like now I'm actually like put on, put on weight. And then it's like, so I, I go home to my parents and it's very it's very normal Japanese thing. Ah, well, like have you gained how do you put on some weight? You'll just say it like super normally. But and I'm like, you know, and Japan being like slim is almost like it's uh it's an ideal, you know. But for me, I'm like, I never thought I would gain weight. It's just so like almost like amusing to me. So we change we physically <laughs> our our beliefs change, our perceptions change our personalities change in some ways too you know so even physically that change has been amusing for me and it's just kind of a i don't want to use the word a testament a show to what changing creatures we are really no i i I could not agree more and i um i i i don't want to keep on tangenting like too much but i would like enjoy talking to you so much but um i i truly uh you know thank you for sharing everything that's here and it's nice to have uh you know, uh, hear it from somebody else as well at times, Ken. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And one thing I wanted to ask before we kind of uh, progress just a little bit further is just one thing that my show is about is kind of like day trips or different travel um, hacks, suggestions, anything like that. Um, do you have any like Tokyo travel hacks or visiting hacks or just things that you would say if you're going to explore Tokyo, here's what I would do? Okay, so the thing is that um, a lot of people have this this idea that Tokyo is expensive. Right. Um, it is expensive re- relatively to somewhere like uh, some country, some other countries. It's still relatively expensive. However, there are budget options for every. There's luxury out there, and even if you stay at a cheaper hotel, it's still going to be pretty good. There's quality across the different price ranges is guaranteed. You can spend. You can buy a. You could have lunch here for, well, the dollar's way up now. So I would say three dollars, <laughs> five dollars. Yeah. You can yeah. have a five hundred yen lunch in Japan. It'll be it'll be really good if you know where to go. So I would say uh, avail yourself of online resources like Tokyo Cheapo, the website, yeah. or um, ask friends who live here. Um, even if a hotel may be cheap for one night, if you're planning on a longer stay, consider staying at a hostel, for example. Just you know, well, the way I travel, my travel hacks, because uh, I've always enjoyed uh, traveling alone, is I really enjoy night buses. Now, if you've got back problems or if you're uh, geriatrically inclined as in you're <laughs> getting over in years, uh, I maybe wouldn't recommend this. But I, when, if you take a Shinkansen or that, there's the JR Rail Pass, which is definitely worth it if you're going here for shorter trips. But if you're living in Japan, the thing I love about night buses is you take a bus to somewhere like Osaka. By Shinkansen would cost, I don't know, Almost 15,000 yen. Yes. You're going to go there for 5,000 yen, maybe less on a weekday, uh, a fraction of the price. You wake up there at 7 or 6 a.m. in the morning. So I, I go drinking, and then I get the bus at like midnight. I sleep through it, arrive. I usually have like a bottle of vodka that I've 
put water in and I drink water out of the bottle of vodka and people look over at me with concern. It's a wonderful feeling. And then I <laughs> arrive in Kyoto early in the morning. You've got the whole day ahead of you. You're not waking up in Tokyo at 8 a.m., rushing to the Shinkansen station and arriving just about before lunch or around 11 o'clock. You have so much more time. Then you can use that extra bit of money and then you can spend it on food. <laughs> so that's what I say. That's how I travel. Yeah. I love going to Sendai, actually. Okay. Sendai is quite... Uh, if you like historical things, they've got historical sites and things like that. But if you just like to eat, the city is so much... The, the streets are wide. You've got gorgeous trees on all the boulevards. It really feels like a beautiful city. Air is clean. There's a whiskey distillery uh, fairly close by. Um, lots of nature nearby, onsen. I really love Sendai. That's, I think I'm going in early November, most likely. I've already been twice this year, but that's my kind of uh, my go-to place outside of Tokyo. Yeah. Love it, Ken. We're kind of nearing the end of our uh, interview here. We've got a couple more questions to ask uh, for you, but want to again just thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed it so much uh, and really happy uh, just with our talk today. But um, before we go, I just wanted to ask if and I don't know if you have time for these things or not, but uh, if you did have any favorite uh, podcasts, YouTube uh, shows, or just uh, maybe groups that you currently follow musically um, that you might like to share with the audience. Of course, I was featured on um, on Made in Japan podcast, and he also, uh, Meljo, has a lot of great uh, guests on, and people living here in Japan, uh, artisans, uh, music professionals, language professionals. Uh, so if you kind of want a feel for what it's like to live here, um, either as a Japanese person or as a foreigner living here, I'd say there's a lot of insight in that one. Um, as far as other resources, uh, I'd say Tokyo Weekender has a lot of good, like uh, well-researched articles, good travel locations, destinations. Tokyo Cheapo is great as well. If you speak Japanese, of course, however, there's always kind of a segment or like uh, restaurants or information on Instagram, especially has a lot of great food accounts and all like the introducing local places. A lot of these places don't have English menus. So I say the minute you kind of start to learn Japanese and you get familiar with that, you kind of get beyond what uh, the English speaking media has to offer in this country. Um, also, just you know, being able to browse around and uh, finding a good picture, and then sending it to a Japanese-speaking friend and pestering them every once in a while, saying, "What does it say? Where is this place?" That's worth it. Music groups I've been listening to lately in Japan. Um, there is a local group if you happen to be in Japan called Shamans, led by Tamatsuboi. Uh, he's an amazing vocalist. Has great. Uh, he's bilingual, so he sings in perfect Japanese and English. Uh, original songs that have a lot of soul and a lot of. Uh, beauty to them i'd recommend those and there's a lot of local artists as well um but uh, he's the one that comes to mind that is has really good local music i would say very representative of tokyo yeah as an artist uh what are your goals for the rest of 2022 oh <laughs> i bit off a bit more than i could chew in the spring and summer and i did several consecutive exhibits which were which are fun but exhausting and i didn't have much time left to actually create a lot of art 
So I'm actually doing a piece as we speak right now. I just had a half-finished piece by my by my side, and I've just kind of been working on that a bit. And I'll send you a picture of that later, just finishing that up. But um, I have one more exhibit with my stepsister, which I will be doing October 14th through the 16th at the Design Festa Gallery in Harajuku. I will be updating the information on my Instagram maybe sometimes at the start of next week. I also kind of want to branch into exploring new colors, I think. I've kind of gotten stuck in a rut with some things. and just kind of observing the patterns that I've had until now. There's some things I want to expand on and other things I did. I just want to kind of say that was good. If I get requested that again, I'll do. But other than that, I want to move away and do something new. Taking stock of my tendencies. This is a very repetitive, repetitive art style. And uh, it's very easy to uh, get kind of stuck in a rut. So I think that my goals for the remainder of this year is to kind of revisit those things. And honestly, I've been selling okay. I haven't been putting a lot of effort into the marketing side of things lately. Uh, but the other thing that I do want to do and I'm concerned about is I'm kind of losing that joy in creating a new piece. It's always magical when I've created something amazing, but sometimes it's just that really mundane creating a kind of a normal piece, you know? And I always used to really enjoy that satisfaction of having created a piece. I think ever since I've started doing this as a, as a, as my job, I've kind of lost that magic and I want to get it back somehow. So I do want to learn how to approach a piece of paper or a canvas without thinking of who's going to buy this. I want to, for once think this one's for me. I'm going to have this on my wall. And if someone asks to buy it, I'm not going to sell it. Um, I do want to rediscover art for me personally, my art for me personally. I would say those are some of my goals, possibly, for this year. What would you like to tell listeners of the show um, about yourself that maybe we haven't covered to this point or you haven't had a chance to share in other interviews that you've been a part of? I think that there's a lot kind of that I've been covered about as me being raised as bilingual. And I've had some conversations even with friends of mine who they don't really consider me Japanese, for example, because of kind of how I am culturally. Or my my English is informed by my Japanese and my Japanese is also informed by my my English, which has been kind of, uh, has its perks and also its demerits, you know? I do hear a lot of generalizations about Japanese people in general. Like, you don't, act Japanese or you don't. And I think it comes from this. I'm not denying that there are certain personality traits that we have as a nation or certain tendencies that we have. But I would just invite people to try to make more Japanese friends and to understand that we're not a monolith. We have so many different ways of thinking. We have personalities. I've had people say Japanese people make really reductive comments about Japanese people. These are typically uh, foreigners who don't speak Japanese, and they're basing these off of their rudimentary conversations in English or in their broken Japanese with Japanese people. And I've heard rudimentary things like Japanese people are closed-minded or Japanese people don't have their own opinions. I Believe me, they do. We just don't tell them to everyone until they get very close to us. They're not always great opinions. A lot of us are really stupid. (laughs) A lot of us are really smart, but it's just, I'm so tired of these reductive uh, things I hear about Japanese people and about Japan. I have people trying to educate me about my own country sometimes, you know. So I would, if I had to, if I had something to share, 
I would say, uh, please try to uh, engage in Japan with, with Japan in a, with a more open mind. Yes. Um, yeah, and I would invite people to. Um, I really think that I, we are a beautiful country with beautiful people. And I really want people to come to this country, not just to experience what we have in our culture and our heritage, but for us and make friends with us and get to know us, I would like to say. <laughs> no, I, I like that. And I, I, but with my friends in Hiroshima that I met, like if I wasn't, uh, you know, traveling with that thing of just being open, trying to take things in and just, you know, taking a chance at uh, talking through a Google Translate, if that's what you have to do at the time. Um, but, mm. you know, putting yourself out there and doing things different than maybe you would do normally at home, I'd miss out on the uh, friendships that I have. That is something that's rewarding, you know, for both of you. So I would agree with that a hundred times over. I mean, there is a stereotype of Japanese people being closed minded or having certain mindsets about things. And a lot of us do, but there are reasons that we, that a lot of us feel this way. And I think that for that bigger dialogue to take place, that context understanding that context. I think this is holds true not just for Japanese people, but for Americans, for for uh people from all different kinds of cultures and walks of life. Like they feel a certain way. It might even be a wrong way or a dangerous way, but unless we understand the context, then how are we going to have these conversations? Right. So yeah, deeper understanding. And <laughs> that's why I think it's important for us Japanese people to learn more languages. And I think it's important for more people to learn Japanese so we can have these dialogues. I'd like to just give you a moment to kind of promote some exhibits that might be coming up. Um, and if there's anything else that we ha happen to leave out, just please, uh, you know, send me the links and I will include that in the show notes. So when they're listening to it now, they'll magically already be there. So, <laughs> okay, great. So I, I, um, again, my website is kenfrog.com. Um, there are some videos there, my previous, uh, some interviews are, uh, my friend, the videographer, Kyle McCloskey, who's worked on a lot of high profile, uh, uh films, commercials, et cetera, kindly made a series of documentaries. Uh, one of which featured me. So that's a shorter, uh, film called, um, why I draw. Then there's also Tokyo Weekender did a 15-minute video, about 15-minute video here. They came to my house to film it here. It was a really fun experience. Uh, really, really, really had fun with that one. Um, you can also commission work to me directly. If you see a piece that you'd like me to, uh, that I've already sold, you can ask me to make something similar. I, by principle, generally don't recreate pieces because I like to respect the kind of um, the uniqueness of a single piece. But uh, most of my work is on commission, and I'm always open. Uh, there might be a little bit of a wait, but I'm always glad to. And I'm very involved. Um, it's difficult when people say, oh, just take it wherever you want to. I will ask you questions. I will say, uh, I will ask you even art rudimentary questions to get a picture of who you are. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's the easiest uh, process, but um, please uh, bear with me and uh, commission a piece. I'm sure you'll be happy with it. I have an exhibit coming up October 14th in Harajuku. Please message me directly for the details. I think it will be my last uh, exhibit for this year. And other than that, you can find me uh, typically at Art Bar. Or um, I bartend twice a month just for fun. I'm doing it tonight at Nui Sans Gallery in uh, Suidobashi area. So it's just mostly my friends come by and I make cocktails for them. I usually have my art showing then as well. So please drop by if you can. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, 
yeah, I'm always willing to chat about things. I have uh, actually lots of people in Japan and abroad um, messaging me for kind of um, insight into how to make it in the art world. And I'm not even really making it in the art world, I feel. But it's, it's, it's nice that people are reaching out and we can, I can share notes with them. We can talk about things. And it's, it's really, since I made this decision to be an artist, several of my acquaintances have almost around the same time also quit their jobs to fulfill, to devote more time to art. And it's been rewarding to feel that I might have had some um, influence there because I really think that artists are important in the world. And I feel art is important, and uh, I really want to help people who want to do that. So please feel free to contact me if you have any questions or you just want to chat about the creative process. Sounds good, Ken. <laughs> and once again, just give you a chance to plug your uh, social media one more time, and um, then we'll head from there. Okay. Well, my Instagram is Ken Frog. That's, you'll find some other accounts. I have Ken Frog Writes for my terrible poetry, Ken Frog uh, Eats for my terrible cooking. <laughs> yes uh but just follow ken frog and then you'll be good (laughs) (laughs) ken thank you so much today my friend uh for joining us and i truly that was so japanese of me i'm sorry i have to just add like i'm actually a really good cook i was a cooking instructor for a whole year i was teaching traditional japanese cuisine for a whole year but it's just so japanese of me i realized to be like i'm sorry i was just this is just me coming out of telling people not to be reductive about japanese people and then fulfilling that exact stereotype like my terrible cooking i'm actually a pretty good cook i just wanted to throw it out i'm sorry you're perfect kid you're perfect and you follow his instagram and find out some drinks as well because he's making some interesting ones that, uh, that i look forward to Hopefully being able to have, uh, like I said, June or July when I'm out your way, Ken. So I think that's per- that's that's wonderful. Perfect. I think that's a great way to go out, my friend. Um, anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, just to um, I hope that if I have anything to say, even if you don't make it your job, um, please don't feel that any artistic endeavors or something that you relax needs to create capital value or uh, be something that uh, lasts, just please understand that finding joy in creation or finding joy in a hobby is something that you have, uh, you don't have to deserve. It's just something that's good for being a person in general. And it doesn't have to have any other value other than you just enjoying it. So I want to tell everyone just to um, reconnect with old hobbies, even if you think it doesn't make sense. Create bad art, create good art, Just, just do it. And it might bring you happiness. I'm not going to say it will because I can't guarantee that. <laughs> just, just try it, you know. Yeah, I like it, Ken. Uh, so thank you so much, though, my friend. Um, you know, on behalf of Lost Without Japan and the entire crew, I'd truly like to thank you for joining us uh, for today's interview. And truly, I look forward to seeing all of you on board again for our next regularly scheduled episode as we continue our discussion on our next day trip travel recommendation for Japan, or our next interview. To everyone out there, Oginki Day. Stay well, my friends. Cut it,